0: Hello and welcome to the Irish Fire Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Houghton. I'm an entrepreneur, investor, and financial independence enthusiast sharing my financial freedom journey. Stay tuned and welcome aboard. In today's episode, we speak with Robert White, and I met Robert at the Fire Madrid conference. And what's amazing about his story is that Robert's in his 30s, but he has retired, or at least he is officially financially independent. So I talk with Robert about how he was able to do this, about his mindset around having the motivation to actually do it. You'll hear in the interview about the sort of side projects that he did and sort of how he tackled something which seems so impossible for so many of us. We then touch on what Robert is doing today, and he talks specifically about an environmental project that he is very passionate about. So enjoy the interview. I think there's a lot of great nuggets in there. And as always, if you have any questions, reach out to me at michael@firepodcast.e Let's cut straight over to the interview. Robert White, thank you so much for being on the show today. Happy to be here. What's exciting for me is you're actually the first guest on the show who has actually become financially independent. So we're extremely excited to, to hear your story and uh, I guess how you did it and how long it took. So, I mean, let's start with the obvious question. When did you discover
1: the FIRE movement and
0: how long did it take you to actually become financially independent?
1: I can't even remember the year, but it was must have been like 2012, 13 or something like that. I was reading uh, about Mr. Monty Moustache and uh, Lifehacker. hacker. I think um, it was an article about him, so I got into Mister Mister Mustache and basically read all of his posts. Uh, but before that, I read Robert Kiyosaki uh, and listened to most of his audiobooks and stuff like that. I wasn't very uh, fond of, uh, you know, I, I didn't really like everything what, what Kiyosaki said. But um, yeah, I think Mister Mustache that that's the source that that influenced me uh, a lot more.
0: I mean, so obviously you discovered this, but I mean, how do you go from that to actually taking action and I guess changing your lifestyle so that you could actually start doing this? Or did you already have a sort of a career set up where you know, you could actively save quite easily? Or I mean, how did you kind of approach it from
1: there? Well, my uh, intention was not becoming FI per C. My problem was that I was self-employed and I didn't pay into uh, uh, the pension fund in, the, in Germany. So when you're self-employed in Germany, you could do private pensions, which is uh, not a good idea in a lot of cases. And it's, uh, it comes with a lot of high cost and high cost funds, high cost products and so on. So I didn't really trust that. So what we did is we started investing in rental real estate. And our goal was to become pensioners or be- go uh, and retire when we're 50. So that was our first goal once we started getting into the real estate market and we basically started calculating how many real little apartments do we need until they're paid off and their rent is roughly covering our expenses. We started calculating our expenses, uh, started asking around what kids cost and what, uh, you know, tracking our expenses and all this stuff. So um, yeah, that was our first um, thing that we did towards a FI, uh, but we didn't knew didn't know it was called a fire back then so yeah it was all about pension and uh having a safety net basically
0: very good Um, but yeah and and I've obviously met your your wife at the fire madrid conference and you know i can tell you guys are both on the same page which is amazing so we'll touch on that a little bit later on as well but i mean you were only how, how old were you in 2012 2013 i'm assuming that you weren't weren't that old so i mean i guess my question is yeah, for you to actually have that vision to look that far ahead back when financial independence wasn't even a thing. I mean, fair play, right? Like that took a bit of guts to actually work this sort of stuff out, I guess. I was about 30. And since you became financially independent, and obviously, it took a lot less than until you were 50. So actually, let's touch on that a little bit before we delve further. Obviously, it didn't end up taking 20 years. It, it took a lot less than that. So was that because you sort of bought when the, you know, when, when the prices were low or... Obviously, you've moved back to Romania now. So was it a case where you kind of realized at some point, look, if we move to a cheaper country, we can actually start living our financial independence dream today instead of in five
1: or 10 years time? It took a lot less time and we didn't expect that. So again, what we did is to uh, get into real estate. Yeah, the market was cheaper, a lot cheaper than now. Of course, back then, we didn't know that. We thought it's expensive. (laughs) We didn't have any idea about investing in real estate. Got into real estate, but we also did other stuff. Um, we started cleaning the staircase, the building. You know, being a caretaker, a carer for the building that we lived in. That got in some money. Then I did some headhunting business uh, just beside my my normal work as a as a programmer, as a consultant. Uh, I was a freelancer. I was free to do whatever the hell I wanted, and I used that. So whenever I had a business idea, I just started to implement it, if I thought it's worth implementing it. And I did very different stuff. And I didn't have any experience, any studies, any anything about that. I didn't know anything about it. I just thought it's a good idea and just do it. And most of the stuff turned out to be lucrative. I wrote about most of the things in, uh, on our blog, so I'm not going to go into detail. But just as a, as a caretaker, you know. One thinks, okay, what can you earn as as, as a caretaker, as you know, uh, hoovering the, the staircase and things like that. And it turns out after one and a half years that we did it, it was like something like 200 euros an hour. So, I mean, as a programmer, as somebody who studied for years and years and years, that's still an incredibly high salary, isn't it? So it's all about efficiency, starting doing something and then making it more efficient. Another example was that I, I started working a, on a website for somebody, uh, updating a website. I have a, a fixed monthly fee and I started optimizing it as far as I can. I started automating a lot of stuff and I have an incredibly good hourly rate. It's, it's over hundred euros hourly rate and it's not even programming. It's, it, it's all about editing, uh, putting stuff online and <laughs> putting some pictures and text online. So it's ridiculous. But I'm, I truly believe there are so many options like that, so many possibilities like that where you can earn a lot of money and not doing, investing very much time in it. So it's all about efficiency.
0: Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, I, I can recall myself, Robert, when I had a, a handyman call one day to put up a cabinet in our bathroom. And this is back when I was literally checking every minute of my time. So he walked in the door and he was going to put the cabinet up for me for 20 euros. And I literally started my timer because I went back to work. And after two minutes of timing, he came back in and said, OK, that's done. Um, you know, thanks for that. was the 20 euros and out the door he went. So it's literally a case where it was a two minute job for him. You know, if you work out the hourly rate on that, <laughs> extremely high in terms of what he actually did. But at the same time, that would have taken me, you know, one or two hours. It probably would have been crooked. I probably would have had to go and find a drill somewhere. So from my point of view, I was happy to pay it and I, had a, I was a happy client. The cabinet's still up there six years later, so he did a good job and uh you know he won as well because it was he was he was only you know it was only a five minute drive for him, so it wasn't very far um so from that point of view, it was a case where everybody everybody wins but if I'd been a point where I'd gone right, I'm not going to pay you twenty euros for two minutes' work. <laughs> then that whole arrangement wouldn't have worked. So it's it's a matter of thinking about the stuff differently, which I, I guess is what you've done. And obviously that's compounded over time. And I guess one thing I want to touch on too, which is certainly something that I've noticed that, that I do myself, is you mentioned that you started a whole lot of these various projects and various things and, and various little businesses. But a lot of people would probably be listening in going, yeah, I mean, look, I've got great ideas, but I never execute. And I know many people who are always telling me about their great idea and they never ex- execute. So how did you go from kind of coming up with something like you know, caretaking or whatever the project was to actually getting off your chair and actually doing it? Was it just in your makeup? Was that the sort of person you are? Or did you have a
1: particular technique that you used? The short answer is don't get off your chair. <laughs> uh, there's, there's this moment in my life when I was sitting in my office working on a different project. I had, some, some, um, I had a break and I had this idea that I could do hat hunting. I went through the phase myself coming from Romania to Germany, finding a job and so on and getting myself and self-employed. So I thought um, I could help others to do the same thing, to get self-employed, come to Germany, find an apartment and so on. So literally I got this idea and the next minute I got, grabbed the phone and I called a headhunting company to see how much these companies are asking. I lied to them saying that I was a company looking for a programmer and asked them how much they would bill to to find me a programmer. So this is it. And when they told me the price, my jaw dropped. <laughs> when when they said something like, oh, we're charging 20%. And I said, 20% of what? <laughs> you know. I I had no idea about sole business. And he said, well, of course 20% of the first year salary. And I said, Growth or not? Growth. What? I, I, I almost sweared on the phone. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, So I said to myself, I'm going to do this half price and I'm going to do a lot more and I'm still going to be happy. And this is what I did. I had zero connections. I just basically grabbed the phone, wrote wrote a lot of emails, contacted companies that I didn't know, contacted a lot of people that I didn't know. That was starting from absolute zero, with no skills needed apart from um, having maybe a thick skin and being resilient when you hear, no, 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 a hundred times. And then a hundred and first one says, yeah, let's do it. But coming back to the, to your question, okay, how how did we shorten the time from, you know, retiring at 50 to retiring, retiring at uh, 32? We had this income, uh, side income, uh, we were, we didn't spend very much. So we didn't know where to spend our money. We were happy. We, we bought everything that we wanted to buy. We were left quite frugal. But the other thing is, when you save money and at the same time earn a lot more than than your than your salary, and my salary wasn't high, it I wasn't. I mean, my first starting salary was something like two thousand three hundred euros, and it slowly, over ten years or so, slowly went up to I don't know four and a half k or something like that, off which I had to pay, of course, taxes and so. But even with with that sort of money, um, you can save a lot, and when you have all this side income, that exceeds at some point your normal salary then it's great Um, plus somewhere around 2013 i started a little hobby website that over the years it turned out to be very lucrative i i love doing it i still do it so even though we're fi um i'm I'm still doing this almost every day an hour or so i'm investing in this project so yeah that helped us a lot to, to earn more money yeah So, I mean, it sounds to me
0: like you basically kind of threw yourself into any opportunity that came along. Obviously, not all of these projects worked, I assume. I mean, it was probably a case where a lot of them did work out, some of them didn't, or or at least some of them evolved into something else, maybe?
1: It was not really the case that the project didn't work. Um, For example, I stopped doing um, all these um, headhunting and and consulting business uh, with uh, freelancers, I started doing it because I I just didn't really like it. Even though it was incredibly lucrative. I, I never calculated my R late, but it was well paid and I just stopped doing it. So it's not really the case where it's uh you know, it didn't work. It just got bored of it or I, I was wanted to focus on something else. And my focus slowly shifted towards uh, towards my, my baby, my as I call it, my little project that I started that is a is a hobby and makes money at the same time.
0: Let's touch a little bit on that. So At some point you realise that, you you and your family were effectively financially independent, you moved back to Romania by the sounds of it, and I know that that was probably a little bit hard for you to get used to at first, given that maybe it wasn't something you'd always planned to do, but once you actually got into, sort of, out of that nine-to-five job, so to speak, was it different to how you expected it? Was it, I mean, obviously it had happened sooner than you had anticipated, but was it kind of, I mean, was it different? Is life the same? Is it better? How does, you know, how does it compare to what you expected?
1: Well, it wasn't um, um, a change from one day to another. In 2015, was it uh, at some point? I was playing with my Excel sheet and I realized, "Hey, uh, wife, I think we're a fine And I showed her numbers and you know, just just to make sure I didn't make any errors and you know all these estimations and my graphs and things like again. Uh, you know, just because of that, we didn't we didn't really make any any changes right away. I was reducing the hours that I worked for. One of my main customers, uh, anyway, because I wanted to. So the change was, you know, in steps. And just to be clear on that, we didn't decide to move to Romania just because it's cheaper and just because it's, uh, you know, we want to be a fi and as soon as soon as possible, so we have we move to a cheap country, that was not the case. Uh, we we're planning to be a fi, and we did achieve a fi in Germany, calculating with German costs. And after that, only it was in. 2016 i think when when we first uh so I, I think it was a year after we became fi when we first played with i thought to move to romania just because my parents were here and we just simply uh my siblings and 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 i would never thought about okay what's gonna happen if they're gonna get old and they're home there because everybody's left to country all my siblings left for country so i thought hey we could move there theoretically and then Luckily, Emma was all right with it, and we did
0: it. I know when I gave my presentation in Madrid, one of the criticisms that my presentation had, or at least some of the feedback that I had, was that because I'm, I guess, similar to yourself or how how you were as a freelancer, is that as a freelancer, we have this ability to scale down our time as we move closer to financial independence, which sounds very much like you did. so. Actually, Robert, it's actually quite inspirational what you're saying in terms of how you did it, because it's exactly how I want to do it as well. I mean, obviously, I'm working part time now, but I can eventually move down to maybe a two hour day and then maybe just a one hour day and then maybe the odd hour here and there. And so for those people who have a job, and I guess I'm asking to try and answer this question for for both of us. um, I mean, you mentioned at some point that you did, you know, you were working somewhat full time. Do you think it's possible to scale down as a full-time employee, or or are we at, at a real advantage being able to scale, scale down as freelancers, or do you think it's a case where, you know, if you do want to scale down, it's a matter of finding a job that might give you the option to go part-time eventually, or is there a different approach altogether?
1: The question that I would ask somebody uh, who's thinking about, you know, scaling down and trying to build up his own business or do something else is how much time Does it spend on Facebook or in front of TV or Netflix every day? And in all that time, how much stuff you can learn? How much new skills can you learn to help yourself towards a So there's plenty of possibilities. And once you make money out of your hobbies, you make money out of your passions, beside your full-time work, then scaling down your full-time work is going to be a natural process, I think. That's how it was for me. And that's what I think it's it's doable for everybody. I pretty much had a, I, w- I was a freelancer, but I basically had a full-time job for, for a couple, couple of customers. So I wasn't any different in time management to, to put it like that than any other employee in, in my situation. But yeah, I came home and I did programming for two, three hours every night for several years and I just used all my, my free time when I didn't have anything else to do, any, any other ideas or we didn't travel. So I just um, used it to, to try out my, my ideas.
0: You know, I'm starting to catch a little bit of a, of a theme as well from some of the other guests I've had on the show. So I, I had a guy on episode 23 called Guy Davis, and he was an engineer. He was living in Australia. He went and worked on the mines for, I think, two years. And in that time, he basically doubled his salary, but he was working extremely long hours. And he said that that ability to actually earn effectively two incomes in one year was really the catalyst for him to be able to, I guess he's now semi-retired. So from that point of view, it sounds like your story was similar. And I think that's really, that's really good advice as well. And like, if this is something that you, that you do want to make as a proper goal, you need to be thinking about, right, can I make more sacrifices now? And I mean, you could probably vouch it as well. I know that you've got a child now. So obviously it's a lot harder once you have children. So, you know, if you don't have children, then this is really your time to be considering to try something, and it's not instant gratification, which is a challenging part i'm sure I'm sure that you could you could probably give me better examples than I can. but you know you start these projects, and it might be six, twelve, eighteen months until you actually start seeing money come from it. In many cases, that's kind of the problem with a lot doing a lot of this stuff is we're so used to working and getting paid, and when it comes to actually starting something and not getting paid straight away, it could be a challenging mindset to kind of get to and I think, you know, when you gave that story about the headhunting story about, you know, you had 100 phone calls and you had 100 no's and then on the 101st you had a yes. Your ability, there must be something in you, Rob, to have that ability to constantly know that it's going to work out or to keep going. Because I think for so many of us, we would give up at sign of failure. Whereas it sounds to me that something sort of programmed in you, if you like, to just constantly keep going. Because I know that I feel that way. I mean, I'm, I'm constantly told No. But I constantly find a way to make it work and and to kind of con- continue the conversation, if you like. So, I
1: mean, would
0: you say that's a, a fair reflection on on how you are?
1: Um, I, I think the point here is that after every phone call or after every try, you learn something. You have to think for a moment what you did wrong and learn from that. And the next call should be a bit better and better and better. So this is how you learn. This is how everybody, everybody learns. You learn from your mistakes. I think you have to you have to just keep doing it and don't give up if you believe it's, it, it has a future. And now I think about what Robert Kiyosaki wrote in his book several times, I think. Gut feeling. It's really difficult to desc- describe, but if you have this gut feeling that it has to work and you question that all the time, every time where you fail, you question it. And, and when your gut feeling says, no, it actually at some point it has to work, then just keep doing it. I've got a question for you, Rob, and
0: this is something that I do in my own mind. But do you ever see it in your head before you actually get it? I mean, did you see yourself financially independent at age 32? Did you see some of these projects as a success before you'd even, you know, before it had even become anything? Like I myself, I can see myself being 40 and being retired. I've seen it from some of the success I've had with setting up various hockey clubs and things like that. I know they're going to be successful before I've even really tackled it. It's it's like something exactly that, my sort of gut feeling. But it's like I'm so confident in myself, but at the same time, there's no real evidence to say that I should be confident. It's just this gut feeling that I will find a way, um, no matter what is sort of thrown in front of me. Is that is is that something that you would relate to?
1: Well, exo helps. So when you open your numbers, when you open your expenses and when you open your statistics and uh, what's the word to predictions, you know, Excel has this nice feature of, you know, uh, selecting some cells from the present, from the months of the last 10, 12 months and so on. And then you drag it in the future. And at some point in 20, in 40, in whatever months, number of months, you're FI, then you see yourself a FI, right? So there's <laughs> the questions. Yeah. Uh, w- once you look at it, uh, you see that you see the point where you, when you're becoming a FI. I made some mistakes in my graphs, and I saw myself FI a lot later than I actually <laughs> we actually became. So uh, it, w- it was quite funny. Yeah, because I'm normally too optimistic. My always tells me that I'm 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 too optimistic, but at, at that moment or at that time, I didn't factor in some some. Some stuff that uh, that generated money or was lying in our accounts and so on, so and and that actually made made difference. But of course, that, that was all mathematic FI <laughs> that we reached because we kept earning money. Um, and this this is uh, we talked about it in Madrid. A lot of people that are FI are still making money, so you have to know that and you have to factor that in and maybe think about that in a different way.
0: Hmm. Very good. Now that's and that's a fair point and. I mean, that was actually the kind of the last question I have in in regards to your investments, or at least how they worked, was obviously with the rental income, I'm assuming it was on a month-to-month basis that you became financially independent. So was it actually the cash flow that the rental income was giving you that you considered yourself to be FI because that was covering your expenses? Or was it a case where you had built up X amount of capital and you felt that capital was going to be able to, you know, you were going to be able to live off that at some
1: sort of safe withdrawal rate? We always thought about early retirement at the moment when enough debts are paid off um, to so that the cash flow from the real estate income covers our expenses. And we didn't factor in um, the the, the money that we're keep making, uh, salaries, different projects or uh, reserves that we have. And, you know, if the factor in, in how much, how long can you live off that, those uh, sums of money that together, basically. This is how we figured out, okay, we're a we're FIRE. The cash flow and reserves and investments together.
0: And tell me, Rob, what's happened to you? If you, meet, if you meet somebody for the first time outside of the FIRE community, I mean, obviously, I'm assuming you don't tell them that you're retired or what's your sort of, what story do you give them? And, and how did friends and family react when they heard this news? Or did you just keep it kind of quiet and you just could sort of let, let life go on? I mean, I, I don't know about yourself, but certainly even myself going to part-time work nobody ever really notices, right? Like it's between me and my family and my clients don't really know. My friends don't even notice any different. Yeah, life goes on. Does it anything change when you actually officially become FI and you kind of cut back from a full-time job? What What was the reaction from friends and family, I guess?
1: Well, we're not telling anybody that we're, we're FI. People around here, they don't know about the concept of FI. Um, I do have some projects where Educational projects um, that I do for no money, just to just to give something back to my community and to the young people around me, to teach them about investments, about real estate, about self-employment, so on. I invite speakers and and stuff like that. People see that I'm doing all this, or or I I feel at home at all these topics, Um, and even gave a talk about financial independence without telling them I'm FI uh, about different strategies and so on. But there. People are generally not really interested. All they see is, is, is this um, maybe smart guy, or lucky and strange. This this is probably what, what people think. I'm strange because I collect rubbish and I don't go to work anywhere and I don't drive a car. So I must be strange. And then I give talks about self-employment and how to make money. So they, they, they don't know what to make out of this. <laughs> so
0: I'm strange. I know what you kind of mean, because I, I, I sense that kind of, you know, what's this guy doing coaching hockey on a Friday afternoon when he should be at work? And, you know, I, I sense this from from parents as well here where I live. So and that's only me working uh, yeah, part time. So I can only imagine what you're going through, picking rubbish up and not driving a car and, and giving great talks about this stuff. So let's go back. Let's talk a little bit about rubbish and you picking it up. A recent episode I did where I actually talked about yeah the my my uh, experience in Madrid with the conference, and you were so passionate when you when you shared your story about what you're trying to do with the environment uh, in your town and and some of the the problems that you're going through. and I guess part of the reason for you being on the show was that I know that I've got a feeling in my heart that there's somebody in Ireland who, if they're not listening to this podcast, they will know somebody that will be able to help you. So what I would like you to do now is I guess share the story about what you're actually doing, and the reason that this is so interesting is because it's proof of the pudding that when you actually have the option and you have time available of what you can actually do that isn't motivated by money. So share your story, Rob, with us in in regards to what you're doing um, with the rubbish, but also, obviously, how maybe somebody in Ireland could help you around maybe trying to remove some of the corruption that's going on.
1: Yeah, so it all started when we moved back to Romania uh, about two and a half years ago, and I just couldn't stop seeing all this rubbish lying around. That rubbish was lying around when I left and I didn't really notice because it was no more. And this is, this is what Romania looks like. You just look everywhere and it's full of rubbish. But I started asking questions and I started, you know, I came back with this making things work more efficient mindset. And I I thought I had some good ideas how to optimize this and where where to ask. And I started asking the mayor, the town hall. I started asking the company that's collecting the rubbish and so on. And I put together a a number of ideas, a number of things that could be optimized from the town hall or from other key people and key uh, organizations here. Um, For example, I mean, why does nobody, uh, does like half of the city, uh, does not have a a bin, because this is what's happening. Uh, if you don't have a bin, you throw your rubbish somewhere, and you don't have any other option, just beside throwing it in the nature, right? So this is why everything's full of rubbish. So I started asking questions like that. There's so many little stories like that where you just—it's it, incredible. The tip on the on the iceberg um is that there's this lake. You know, in this town we have a nice little lake area, and one of the lakes. Is just filled with rubbish every day by all sort of people, all sort of uh, plastic and styrofoam and fridge and washing machines and everything you can imagine from tires to really weird materials that that even companies throw there, all sort of stuff. So I was just sad and I was just uh, revolted to, to see all that. Um, and then I went and wrote an email to the to the town saying, "Come on, um, uh, what's going on here?" And then I figured out that they're actually doing it themselves as well. So this is how they they can't uh, find anybody doing that because it's illegal. Even in Romania, this stuff is illegal. But they they don't find anybody because they're doing it themselves because it's just cheapest way of getting rid of uh, rid of uh, a lot of the rubbish that they collect in the city. So I'm having a hard time <laughs> here. They do some of the stuff, they did pick up some of the ideas that didn't cost them any money and just, you know, that they could do uh, to inform the population about the, uh, the fact that they're obliged to have a bin, for example, or so on, but it's, it's too little nobody get nobody fi- gets a fine here. The police doesn't care about that. Um, so I'm really struggling <laughs> having a uh, major milestones reached here. But anyway, the long story short, there are some pretty good results here that I can show. We started, um, I teamed up with some volunteers here and we're uh, doing a lot of Facebook campaigns and talking to people and so on. So the, rate, the recycling rate in the town went up a lot by a, a really incredible amount. So we're thinking it's about five or six fold within, let's say one and a half, two years. The recycling rate went went up, but it was like incredibly low, so it was probably like I don't know one two percent recycling rate, which is laughable. So it went up to let's say ten percent or something. Of course, it's not enough, but uh, it's 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 nice to have this feedback. Keep doing all sort of stuff like go and collect rubbish uh, from that pond um, and actually sell it to some companies that are located in this town and actually pay for Plastic bottles pay for aluminum cans uh pay for glass and so on. And I try to teach other p- poor people that hey, there's money in this, why don't you go there and collect all the rubbish and then the thing doesn't get into the lake and then you can make money and everybody's happy right but well, it's uh it turns out it's difficult, but anyway, my newest plan is to uh draw a bit more attention on this issue because uh authorities don't really like to uh Take action. And I want to organize a little environmental conference here. And I want to find some experts in this area. Could be experts, could be just enthusiasts, and could be people that have experience in, in environmental stuff. I want to invite them over here for a weekend or so and just to draft a paper with things that could be done to solve the problem of the rubbish uh, in this town and just hand it in to the mayor right? Just to help them, right? Give them ideas uh, and so on. Maybe the press comes along and and, and covers the stories. Uh, and yeah, this is something that, that could have a, an impact. Maybe it doesn't, but I'm optimistic as always.
0: And And we have to remember that Romania is part of the EU, right? So they should be complying with EU laws on this. And it is a case where There's clearly corruption going on, and this this shouldn't be going on at all. And you know, whatever we can help to make sure this doesn't happen, we should be doing.
1: Absolutely, I'm I'm not saying that this particular issue has anything to do with corruption. Um, There's, I can't identify a a reason why it should. It's just plain ignorance and stupidity. (laughs) This this is it. I mean, why why should people bother sorting out the rubbish when they have more important stuff to do? And I'm saying this is. Really bloody important stuff to to sort out because I don't want to throw, <laughs> I don't want to see rubbish thrown in the lakes where I spend my childhood. This is not happening.
0: It's an amazing contrast, Robert. Because here in Ireland now, like we we have a sta- housing estates where you know I I live in a housing estate, and whenever there's rubbish reported as being dumped somewhere, it's up on the Facebook page. People are in disgust. The community will get out and clean it up on a Saturday morning and make sure that it's gone we have a tidy towns committee here that was, is picking up rubbish every single day and they're, they're usually volunteers. So it can change. It will change over time. I, I've got no doubt it will because, you know, I've seen here in Ireland where, you know, rubbish is, is completely unacceptable and and it does drive people crazy whenever there is rubbish. So it's, it's about educating the, the population as well, but you know, the more attention that we can be giving to this, the better. So I guess my, my reach out to the audience and, there must be somebody here that has an idea for Robert or could help him or maybe could just give, give him some advice to link up. So, you know, by all means do, do reach out to him and Rob, what's the best way for people, for people to get in touch with you. If they, if they need to reach out.
1: Find me on Facebook, uh, Robert White, um, in the Finnish independence, Europe group, you'll find me or, uh, just drop me an email. W L C B blog at gmail.com. Uh, but yeah, uh, Ireland is boring, man. It's just really boring. There's just no rubbish lying around. If you go to Germany, you just die (laughs) out of boredom, right? When it comes to rubbish. So come to Romania, if you have any experience with this, or or if you just simply like to help uh, collect some rubbish, raise some awareness, discuss, and and, uh, try to to make a change in a little town. And the thing is, this is a little town. There's like 10,000 inhabitants. This is a place where you can actually have an impact. So yeah. If you're interested, just drop me an email and hopefully you can start organising this uh, soon. I would love to meet uh, some some people who are, who are interested to help.
0: Excellent, Rob. And, uh, and look, at the same time, obviously, while you're there, you can obviously be helping them on their own financial independence journey as well. So no doubt there's some free advice going whilst rubbish is being collected.
1: Absolutely. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show them all the little dirty <laughs> secrets how to become a FI. I... <laughs> excellent, excellent. Now, look, b- b- before we wrap up,
0: we better talk a, bit, a little bit more about Firehub and what you and your wife have set up. And, you know, obviously I'm, I'm involved in the, the community online now and, and, you know, going to the conference was, was amazing and, and such an eye-opener for me. Give me a little bit of a background on why you guys decided to set up Firehub what you do and you know how the, the audience can actually reach out and, and get more information from, I guess, what you guys are doing at Firehub.
1: Basically, back then it was in 2015, 16, something like that, there was absolutely nothing about financial independence in Europe. There were some blocks in Germany, there were some blocks in the UK and so on, but only a few. But there's nothing that, that basically tried to bring together all the stuff, all the information, all the blocks and all the knowledge about FI in Europe, because 'Cause we're all reading about this four oh one case in the in, in US and uh Matt is writing amazing articles, uh Mr. Money Moustache and uh Jim Collins and so on. And we're all learning a lot from them. But a lot of stuff is just you just can't we just can't relate to. I I had this idea and I even came up with the the name uh, FireHub back then. And I even reserved a domain, but it just didn't get to to actually do anything with it. And then um, we're organizing these uh, Financial Independence Weeks uh, Europe. This is what it's called. And we organized this in 2016. The first time in 2017, we had the first proffer conference between five people. It's all non commercial stuff just to meet and talk about FI, make friends. Exchange some ideas. You saw in Madrid what it's all about, and yeah, we actually uh, five or six of us just sat down in in my my office uh, in the house that we rented and just started FireHub. Uh, started collecting blocks, started collecting uh, articles that are that were interesting and um, relevant to for a lot of people to read. This is when uh, FireHub got got born. We have a list of over 200 blocks all from all over Europe collect all the blocks in every every language, but we create articles in our front page and for the news that are only from the English speaking blocks. We have a wiki, we have an events page where we try to collect um, and everybody, anybody can suggest events that are happening, meetups that are happening all over Europe. Um, aboutify, we're trying to cover out a podcast that are going on in, uh, in, in Europe. So it's pretty much trying to bring everything that's Anything to do with uh, FI? Anybody can go and sign up to the newsletter. Visit the page. You get a, an email once a week with absolutely no advertisement. This is not a commercial thing. With the latest articles that were written in Europe in English, and there could be relevant to uh, anybody in, in the UK or in Germany or in Spain or wherever. We have a number of curators. Uh, we have we're a team of uh, a few people that are have a monthly Skype calls and trying to make it better, uh, make it look nicer, make it reach more people, make the the content more relevant. And we're actually creating manually every single post, everything that is written in English in Europe, we're trying to read. Somebody's reading it and making a little, writing a sentence or two about it and posting it out and posting it to the Facebook group, Twitter and so on in the newsletter. Uh, a lot of stuff is automated because i like efficiency <laughs> uh, but the creation is actually manual and there are really some wonderful people working at this uh for absolutely no money just for the community i hope that more and more people discover it we have some uncharted territory in france for example i don't know what france is doing i think they're just eating cheese and drinking wine all the time i have no idea but I, uh, spanish people are very active for some reason there they have some really huge conferences about FI um in Spanish though. In the UK stuff is going on. Uh, we've been there to to meet up. There's a there's a weekly or monthly week, uh FI meetup in London. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. Uh and it's getting more and more. But it's nice to have a place that is that is ours, that is for the European community. And this is what we're trying to create.
0: That was a great description, Made, and I really like. I really do appreciate your work that you're doing on that, and it, it is a great resource. And it's certainly something that I'm signed up with, and and I really do enjoy the Facebook page that you guys have, and there's always seems to be loads of content going on as well. So I will post links to um, the Facebook page, the, the newsletter sign up, and I think there's a Facebook group as well. Well, and Robert, thank you so much for your time. It's been really great uh, today just to hear your feedback, and you know some of the stuff that you mentioned about how you were able to do this, the fact that you just really push yourself to get your side hustles going while having a full-time job. You know, you were crunching your numbers and realized that you'd actually achieved it before you'd even realized it, so to speak. And uh, I think it was it's, it's inspiration of what you're doing. And, you know, the fact that you're living this very kind of simple life now in Romania, uh, going around trying to just help the community is wonderful. And I really do wish you all, all success with the project that you're working on at the moment around,
1: uh, around getting the environment there sorted. Thanks a lot. And thanks for having me. And uh, hopefully we meet again in one of the European conferences. Uh, and I just really encourage everybody to go to a real-life conference, meetup, wherever, where we meet other like-minded people and just learn from each other to, to see what, what FI is, is, is really about.
0: I couldn't agree more, Rob. I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Here are a few ways you can support the show. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. If you're using Apple Podcasts, why not leave a review? Become a member at firepodcast.ie and get access to free resources to help on your FI journey. Thanks again for your continued support.